Welcome to the On The Mark podcast, where I'll help you become more well-rounded financially at the intersection of real estate and personal finance. As an avid real estate investor and 20-year mortgage industry veteran with over $2 billion in fundings, I'll help you learn how to build and protect wealth and pass it on to future generations in a way that's easy for all to understand. Okay, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, my name is Mark Myman, Vice President with Freedom Mortgage. Uh, I'll be joined in a minute by our two amazingly talented um, and intelligent co-hosts, uh, Courtney Ronin from TitleVest and Ed Kastner from the Griff Insurance. We'll be talking to Courtney all about title insurance and why it's important for investors to build a relationship with a great title rep. Uh, and some other important factors about title insurance that uh, most people probably don't know about. And then we'll shift over to Ed to be talking more about property and casualty insurance, um, some common issues that investors face, and, and how to determine the amount of coverage that is necessary to protect their investment. So thank you all for joining us. Without further ado, I'm going to invite Courtney first um, to uh, share to show yourself and and your voice, and um, and maybe you can start with a quick introduction for who you are and, and tell us a little bit about TitleVest. Sure. Good afternoon. Hi, everybody. I am also coming to you from New York, New York, uh, from my office, which I am luckily able to come in every Wednesday. So Wednesdays are my favorite day, so I'm happy that everyone can join me in this. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedules. I know that the industry you're in has probably never been busier. Uh, my name is Courtney Ronan. I have worked here at TitleVest for a little over two and a half years. I've been in title for a little over five and a half years. And fun fact, Mark Myman is the first person I met in the business five and a half years ago. Uh, prior to title insurance, I worked at a little real estate startup, which was then called Urban Compass. Uh, which I think all of you in the financial advisory space know just IPO'd a little under a month ago. Uh, so it definitely means a lot to me um, to be here today. Uh, TitleVest, my company was founded, not by me, in the year 2000. Uh, we're a tech-based firm who handles residential and commercial title insurance, uninsured business, uh, continuing education courses for real estate agents and attorneys, We've been the number one rated title company in New York since 2013, and we have a large national presence as well. So we operate in all 50 states, uh, primarily via our parent company, which is First American, yet we are also an agent of six of the other underwriters. So Fidelity, Old, Pub, Old Republic, Chicago, Commonwealth, Stewart, and Westport. So thank you so much for having me. Sounds good. We're, we are uh, honored to have you join us. Um, so maybe for the audience that may not be so familiar with exactly what title insurance is and why it's so important, maybe you could just give a quick overview of, of those topics. Sure. So as my coworker puts it, title insurance is the least most important thing that there is. Uh, title in real estate refers to the ownership rights to a specific property. And title insurance is an insurance policy that protects the property's owner and or their lenders against claims or losses related to defects in the property's title or ownership. Title insurance minimizes the risk of acquiring a property whose legal history might be unknown to the purchaser. 
uh, policy guarantees that as of the date that the deed is filed or recorded in our business, the title is free of any defects. Sans, of course, anything that might be accepted to in the policy. So really what that means is that no other buildings or improvements belonging to someone else or claims or liens belonging to someone else are located on that insured land or property with an acceptable survey. And the policy lasts as long as the insured uh, or the owner or their heirs hold, hold title to the property. And in that instance, should a legal issue arise that was not uncovered in the title search, the title company will defend the purchaser in court should there be an attack on the title, uh, as well as cover attorney and court costs and or pay a loss caused by said issue, depending on the policy type. Um, in layman's terms, some common title issues that may not be otherwise unearthed or known to the new owner is a forged deed, uh, release of liens, hidden wills, undisclosed heirs, uh, deeds from minors, encumbrances of records, AKA an easement. This is popular with townhomes and single family uh, properties, most specifically mortgages, mechanics liens put on by a construction company, things of that nature, judgments, liens for unpaid taxes. So that could be estate taxes, inheritance tax, uh, in your business, you know, income or gift tax, and of course, federal and state tax liens. Um, things as minor as errors in indexing of public records. You know, we can, you can file a deed incorrectly against the wrong block and lot, and that would be a title issue. Uh, mistakes on recording legal documents and very topical today, fraud. Uh, all of those are title issues that would have a big impact on a purchaser with a closing. Sounds good. And I know that there are two different types of policies, uh, um, a lender's policy and owner's policy. Maybe we can talk about the difference between the two. Yes, of course. So the lender's policy, which is also known as the mortgagee's policy, that protects the lender's investment against their loss so long as the life of the loan is outstanding. And of course, to protect the stockholders and investors of said lending institution. This is required on purchases and refinances. Versus an owner's policy, which is not legally required, though I've never come across a situation where someone has refused title. Uh, this protects the face amount of the buyer's equity as the actual owner of the property and subsequently after the owner has sold. Obviously, it is your financial, you know, as an owner, it's, it's your financial interest as well. You would want the same insurance that the bank has in their investment uh, that you cannot lose your investment due to a defect in title. Um, and there's also what's called the simultaneous rate. So in certain states, if you choose to purchase your lender and owner's policy together, you will receive a discounted rate on the mortgage policy uh, up to the face amount of the owners. And this is on a state-by-state -state basis, so I won't kind of get into that detail here. Right. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about how the premiums are determined. I know they do vary from state to state, but um, I know do. they're regulated <laughs> some way. Maybe you can you can uh, give the audience a little description of that. Yes, of course. So the premiums are a one time fee uh, based primarily on the purchase price of the property. So the percentage rates are set by TERSA. TERSA stands for Title Insurance Rate Service Association which is governed by uh, the Department of Finance of each state. So any title company operating in said state must charge the same premium. 
So in the case of New York, I believe the rate is, you know, 0. 0.0045. So if you're having a million dollar purchase price, let's call it $4,500 in premium. However, that rate is not the same across all states. Uh, it, the percentage point can vary as do the fees. So some states have all-inclusive title fees and premiums, meaning there's a cap on total title costs. So there are flat set fees. It can't go above set amount. So California, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, and Michigan are example examples of flat fees. Um, again, because the rates are set across the state, the only costs that should differ across title companies are search fees. So that's the fee to record a document and perform a search plus a service charge. Uh, however, these should not vary much in between title companies. So if it does significantly, that's definitely something to look into if someone's giving you a quote. Um, and unlike home or auto insurance, um, as you all know, being in financial services, this is heavily, heavily regulated uh, by TERSA and then, of course, subsequently the Department of Finance. So there's very little wiggle room for negotiation um, in title insurance. We actually cannot go under a certain amount as well because that would be perceived as an inducement of business. Got it. Yeah, it sounds like it's similar to the lending world where there's a lot of regulations and, and things are very, um, you know, consumer, the consumer protection laws are significant exactly. and, and probably rightfully so. Yes. Um, so, so what types of searches does a title company typically do and what kind of issues can come up on those searches? Sure. There is a myriad of searches and potential issues that we obviously try to protect against. So, the searches that are done in all states are tax searches, searches of public records, uh, municipals, bankruptcy searches, Patriot or OFAC searches, and the last deed of record. Other searches that depend on the state or the county can be title and wetlands and flood, which is New Jersey, uh, covenants and restrictions, commonly known as CCUNRs. Uh, the Peconic Bay tax is out east in the Hamptons. Uh, these are all important to have up front, of course, again, because this determines, let's call it the health of the property and ownership interests, which of course, involving Mark, impact a purchaser's ability to obtain financing. Uh, in addition to searches, we also handle surveys. Uh, Mark can speak to that, but surveys are critical as well to determine the health of the property and the boundaries, literally, of the property. You know, a survey endorsement protects coverage or provides coverage, excuse me, against potential undisclosed problems involving things like encroachments, uh, easements, boundary line disputes, wells, water lines, driveway disputes, etc. So obviously, as a, as a buyer of a residential or commercial property, you should insist on an owner's policy with a survey endorsement that is prepared by a professionally you know, licensed land surveyor. Surveys are not applicable and are not required on condominium purchases. Well, okay. So here's where <laughs> I'm hoping the audience will learn from my mistakes. So please, um, please. <laughs> so, and some of you may have heard this story in prior sessions uh, when when uh, we spoke of an attorney, but um, so my personal experience, I bought a uh house or actually a duplex in California. 
And I was given the option to do a survey. And I said, ah, you know, it's an extra expense. I don't know. I don't know that I need it. What, what's the likelihood I'm ever going to have a, a dispute with my property line? Well, let's fast forward a year uh, or actually only six months after I acquired that property. Um, now I'm being sued by the next door neighbor for a two foot strip of land um, that supposedly my back shed is is encroaching on their property. So now I'm currently about $10,000 deep in legal fees and still probably a lot more still to go to try to fight this issue, which could have been avoided had I done the survey upfront, which would have cost a lot less than that. Um, so lesson learned, hopefully others will, will guide uh, their clients accordingly that when you try to cut corners um, with investments, and we all make mistakes, you know, myself included, I'm certainly not a perfect flawless investor. And I don't think, I don't think one actually exists, but these are the types of issues where if you don't take things like, you know, that could be a problem. Well, in some cases they can be a problem. So you really have to be careful that survey lesson learned, hopefully everyone will learn from my expense and my mistake because it was an expensive one and continues to rack up expenses. Um, that was a big blunder on my part and something that I will learn from and never, ever do again. So there you go. There's my personal, um, you know, advertisement for surveys being uh. a worthy expense. Yeah. Painful, but you know, it's, uh, it is what it is and, and, you know, lesson learned and the next time you learn from it and you do better next time. So, um, so yeah, surveys are really, really <laughs> critical. Um, so have you ever, ever had an experience where a, like maybe talk about when a title claim actually comes in, like when there was an issue that was identified, I know that the claim rates from what I hear are very low with title insurance because there's such yes. a thorough job done up front. But I would imagine that there are a very rare occurrence of actual claims that you have to deal with. So maybe you can give an example of what that would look like and sure. what it can entail for an investor. Sure. So what we usually see with claims is if something was not recorded properly, um, if there was a mistake in indexing or recording, claims will arise. And again, as Mark said, the, the claim rates themselves are very low, but when they arrive, they are mighty. Um, something that actually happened recently in the state of California, this is where someone did not get the proper coverage and did bring a claim. Uh, a few years ago, I think it was two individuals bought at, solely as individuals. And five years later, they formed an LLC and they transferred their ownership only via quit claim deed and not in title. So they did not redo their policy, so to speak, to add the LLC to their policy. Long story short, a developer had purchased across the street and they claimed a parking easement that was, of course, in the developer's favor. So the LLC brought a claim to their title company, uh, which actually was denied uh, to that property owner on the grounds that the quick claim deed to the LLC actually divested those individuals of any estate or interest in the property. So essentially their coverage had lapsed. Um, the owners then, in addition to bringing a claim, sued the title company and actually a trial court upheld the title company's position and dismissed their suit. So as I think you all know, an LLC member has no interest in a specific property owned by the LLC. That, that's the point of an LLC, right? Is to kind of you know, remove your, your ownership interest, so to speak. 
So the lesson learned from that is the LLC either needs to be formed at the type time of purchase and obtain its own policy, or it needs to be added to the individual's policy when it is formed. Um, so again, that's a meteor claim that is brought and we, when we do see claims there, items of that nature, or again, failure to, it's, it's really because someone or something has failed to do things properly and not to laugh, but has cut corners. You know, once in a while we see claims about surveys, but if a full survey wasn't done or a survey endorsement wasn't, you know, purchased with the policy or added to the policy, we'll see issues with that. But again, as Mark said, claims are typically few and far between, luckily, because there's a lot of work that goes into a title search and exam. Yeah, for sure. And rightfully so, because the potential claim or the potential issues from having a problem with the title after you've already acquired a property are significant. So um, not that there's a way really to fully avoid cost of title insurance because lenders do require it anytime you're getting a loan, the lender's policy is mandated. There's no way around it. You have to get it in order to get a loan. But that yes. owner's policy can be really important as well. And not, again, not somewhere we want to cut costs. We've talked about that a lot through all the different sessions that you know, trying to cut corners uh, when it comes to all the things that protect your investment can really lead to problems. My own example is one of probably many out there. Um, but as far as, you know, cutting corners on surveys or hiring an attorney that isn't attorney. all that mm -hmm. well-versed in real estate or, um, you know, any of these professionals that support you. Uh, and we'll talk to Ed about, you know, underinsuring properties, which is also a common issue that investors um, take part in just to try to save money. Uh, I would say build in those costs into your cost model and be yes. ready to incur them and make sure that your investment still makes sense. Don't cut corners to try to save costs so that your uh, so that your investment makes sense. Like make sure it makes sense with all those things included. And I think that's a big problem for investors in particular. Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about working with investors specifically and what sort of sure. like information you can provide to an investor upfront, maybe before they make an offer on a property or maybe as they're contemplating an offer or, you know, about to go into escrow or, or doing inspections or whatever it may be, like how you can work with a, as an investor with a title company to get information that is critical for your investment. Sure. I would love to. Uh, so echoing Mark, cutting costs, cutting corners to save, you know, a few hundred bucks here and there, it's likely not going to work out at the end or, you know, as unfortunately we like to call it, you know, you get what you pay for. Um, especially during COVID, I, I, we were seeing a spike in, you know, someone using their sister-in-law who is a tax attorney. Uh, you don't, you want a tax attorney if you're hiring someone for tax related issues, you don't want a tax attorney representing you for the purchase of a real estate investment. Um, same thing, you know, they're using so-and-so who's not a financial advisor to advise them on what they should be investing in or to assist them, you know, with their 401k or their 529 plan. You, you want a licensed financial professional to help you with those things. And the same goes for title insurance. So with the title company, a lot of what we do with investors, whether it's residential or commercial or land purchases, things of that nature is, we do a lot of work in advance, even when you're just considering 
putting money into something. So take your investment, you know, send me the property details, send me the amount that you'll be needing insured. So the amount that you're going to be putting in, what you're getting for financing, um, how you're obtaining financing, anything about the property you feel might be of note. And we will, for lack of a better term, I'll just call it, you know, the health, the, an assessment of the property's health. And we will do that in advance. So a lot of what we're seeing, especially um, in the land and commercial spaces, investors will come to us with, hey, I'm bidding on such and such. And before the bids are even due, we will have run, you know, at that point, obviously it'll be uninsured because you haven't gotten the purchase yet, so to speak. We'll run an uninsured report on the health of the property. And I, I can't stress it enough. You want to be early for everything. And, you know, early and often is, is what I would like to reiterate, you know, come before something is due, come to talk to me before something is due. May, let me make sure that we can get all you, all of the information that you need, whether it's anything, whether it's a home, whether it's a condo, you know, we'll check the health of the building. I'm in New York with cooperative apartments. Obviously some of them can be millions and millions of dollars. We're also running lien searches on the building. You know, we, and your attorney should be doing this too, but you know, we will get you the offering plan, um, you know, discuss the board minutes, things of that nature. So we're trying to assess the fiscal and otherwise health of a property for you. So, and, you know, we're here to make that happen. So for any investors, I would say assess the investment that you're making, of course, and then speak to your title person, hopefully me, um, if not me, then somebody let them know what's going on so that they can help you in advance. Yeah, and I think one of the common threads that we've seen talking to all the different professionals through the series so far is that the people who are most successful as investors find this information out very early on. There's nothing left to chance. There's no, you know, um, oh, I, you know, I don't know if I need owner's title insurance. No, it's built into the model. And that model is done sometimes before you even go to an open house. Right. Um, and that's where the really experienced um, investors kind of differentiate themselves from people who are newer, who may make those mistakes initially. Now, it's OK to make mistakes. I don't want to I don't want everyone to think that, you know, I oh, shouldn't invest yes. <laughs> because I have to do everything perfectly the first time. Like you will develop as an investor over time. You'll get better at it, more efficient. Your model will get more consistent um, with, you know, generating profits down the road and, and rental estimates, all these things will improve over time. But, um, but I think having those resources and checking with them early, early on, which you mentioned was a great, a great point to make. Um, so as far as um, differentiating from one title company to another, like what is knowing that the premiums are the same and the search fees are more or less the same. I think where it comes down to an investor is, is having that relationship with somebody that can be able to pull information for them quickly. Um, yes. And I know one thing that we rely on you on in particular is, is like finding out if, if there is uh, like a CFO search where you want to find out, okay, there, there are three units, physically in this property, is that what the legal classification allows for? Because I know in in New York, we see it a lot in brownstones where there's like an illegal mm -hmm. unit in the ground floor. 
Uh, in California, we see it with illegal ADU units where you might have a converted garage that wasn't done with permits, um, where there's like a separate rental unit, which you might think this is great as an investor because I'm getting additional rental income, but exactly. it can actually cause a problem with the loan approval process on appraisal. It can, uh, which we'll talk to Ed about this as well, get his opinion on the property insurance actually covering a claim. Um, but maybe you can talk about like, um, what differentiates one title rep or title company from another in terms of how they service those investors? Sure. So there are two things it comes down to. It comes down to service and experience. Obviously, you want great customer service. You want people to be accountable. They need to be available. I mean, we actually, we acquired a couple of them, but there are some title companies who, you know, only have their small abstract companies. They only have a few people working and which is normally fine, but not in now today's new day and age of things being done remotely. I mean, some companies, they don't have remote capability. Some companies that only have three or four employees, they can't handle a closing and also have somebody working in the office on your file. So, you know, for us, we are lucky enough not to have that problem. We've got about 125 people on staff, um, both in the office in New York. And we already, the, the, great thing for some of us was that we already had people working remotely across the country. So, you know, for Mark, who is covering loans now in, I think, what, 26 states, Mark? Did I, over, did I oversell you? Somewhere uh, around 26, then. Well, somewhere we got a couple around. of new ones going out. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> the whole come, U.S. of A. <laughs> yeah. Sure. We have, you know, we have to have a licensed escrow agent in each of those states. So we already actually had somebody working remotely in Texas. Uh, somebody working, multiple people working remotely in California. Um, so you want people who not only obviously provide good customer service, but have that experience. So if you're buying an investment property in Arizona, you want to obtain title insurance from a company that's familiar with doing transactions in Arizona. So you mentioned, I know the garage apartments or, you know, subterranean apartments in New York, in Arizona and areas like that, you have, you know, the same thing comes up with casitas. So casitas, for those of you not familiar, are a, a small, obviously, I mean, small house, but it's on the existing property. And some people use that as a rental, but we have to make sure that that can actually legally be used as a rental, because if it can't, you're not getting financing. And that's really going to screw up your investor model, because you're counting on that for passive income. Um, so for us, again, we are doing title in 50 states and we're also, we hire people who are experts, especially on the escrow team in those states who know the local settlement laws, uh, who know the differences between who's responsible for what, because in some cases, in some states, sometimes the buyer doesn't pay for title insurance. Sometimes it's the seller. Uh, sometimes they split the costs of, of those sorts of closing costs. So you want people who provide great service, and have a range of coverage that fits your needs. And also in my case, as a title salesperson, you know, I am not doing the searches myself. I am, of course, incredibly familiar with them because it's my job. But you know, I'm also focused on business development. You know, I as an investor, it's obviously it's about all the work you're putting in, but sometimes it's about who you know and who can help you. And you know, introductions can be made and just the range of familiarity with the different sectors, you know, whether you're investing in a multifamily property or a residential property with a casita or a garage apartment, things like that, a retail space, 
storage facilities, uh, parking lots, data centers are very popular now. Uh, you're going to be a part-time investor in a cell tower uh, or a telecom site or a cannabis-based business. So all of those are things that we've already been doing before the pandemic. And what we're doing now is focusing on how to make the experience better for our clients, which of course would be an investor as our end client. Yeah, and, and one thing we've also relied on you for is that knowledge of all the different states, which is so important to investors, because one of the topics we've discussed uh, is that you don't necessarily, as an investor, have to invest where you want to live or even in your own city. But knowing those local laws, are so it's so important to know those things, both from a rental perspective and what the landlord-tenant laws are. Um, but just across the board, as far as what's allowed, what's not allowed, are casitas okay to rent out or not? Um, and you guys have been great also in providing um, the national settlement services, which mm -hmm. are a good service to the client to be able to actually not just provide the insurance, but actually provide the settlement providers that can physically close the transaction in every state. So I, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan. As you know, we, we do a lot of business together, and I appreciate all of the insight you've shared with everybody and, and your partnership in general. And, um, and thank you so much. We're going to, we're going to shift over to my good friend, Ed Kastner. Ed, we'd love to, uh, to see your beautiful face down in, in South Florida. So please, please join us. There you are. Hey, Ed, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Very good. Very good. So Ed is my go-to guy when it comes to property and casualty insurance, umbrella coverage. Um, and I have all my policies with Ed, um, who is just a incredibly knowledgeable person when it comes to the topic of, of this type of insurance. So Ed, maybe you can introduce yourself real quick and, and also tell us about McGriff Insurance. Absolutely. Uh, Ed Kastner, McGriff Insurance. Uh, personal lines, property and casualty insurance agent, been in the business for about what, 15 years now, I think. Uh, last six, been focused on the exclusively on the elite client, which is high net worth, ultra high net worth, entertainment and athlete client. Uh, right business all over the country. I think there's, I don't know, three or four states I, I'm not licensed in, but other than that, um, I'm licensed pretty much across the entire country. And if I got to get licensed, I can pretty easily. So um, been working with investors for 15 years, uh, obviously, as you know, in the state of Florida, as well as California and uh, Georgia and New York, where I do a lot of my business, uh, investors and then buying investment properties is a pretty significant sector of the real estate and insurance market. So I've had a lot of experience helping people. So there you go. Sounds good. And, I, and I'm one of those people that's <laughs> fortunate to have you as a resource. Um, so maybe you can talk about the different types of coverage that is important to investors, you know, whether it be liability or rent loss or uh, just kind of explain what the different types are and why they're important. Yeah, absolutely. So on a, on a, on a standard dwelling policy, and, and let me do my, and I forgot to do my preamble first. So I'm going to talk in generalities. When we get down to specifics, Every state is a little bit different. So when I talk in generalities, I'm going to talk in major generalities, and it may be applicable to Florida, maybe applicable to California, New York. Take your pick. If you have a specific question, please ask somebody specifically about that state. 
Um, you can ask me, you can ask a local insurance agent, doesn't matter, but every state has different guidelines. And so make sure you talk to a professional about your specific risk because every risk is different. So that's my out. This is general. Don't take this as the gospel. So, um, but on a standard dwelling policy, you know, you have coverage A and coverage A is normally your dwelling amount. So that's for the actual structure and any attached structures to the dwelling. So the house, uh, depending upon, again, the state, maybe a pool, a deck, because the deck's attached to the house. Uh, and then you have the next one, which is other structures, gazebos, fences, that kind of a thing. The next one is uh, content, personal property, which if you're an investor and you're doing an annual rental, you may only have let's say $5,000 worth of personal property in there because you're going to insure the stove, the microwave, the refrigerator, et cetera. Um, and so then the next one after that, which is a big one, is uh, loss of use. So loss of use slash loss of rent. And that becomes a big thing. If you have a claim and you already had tenants in there and you're going to lose their rent because of a claim, you can actually recover some of those lost lost revenues. Um, then you have liability. Liability, you know, again, is a big one because if something happens, they're going to come after you uh, being the owner of the property um, for liability coverage. And then the last one is normally uh, medical payments, uh, which is normally something minor that occurs before you get to a full-blown liability claim. Um, liability, uh, uh, loss of rent, and the dwelling coverage are probably the three biggest uh, pieces of the investor or dwelling fire policy, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. And and you and I have dealt with claims and you guys handled it great. Um, but that loss of rent was something that was part of the claim that I had where we had, um, we had a roof blow off unexpectedly in a windstorm in an area that's not known for, you know, major windstorms or tornadoes or anything like that. Um, and that rent loss coverage definitely came in handy. So, you know, uh, at your advice, we included that in the policy and that was, you know, helpful. And, you know, I think insurance is kind of the whole concept of it is planning for the, the things that you don't expect to happen, but can happen and do happen on occasion and, and being protected. And, and again, we talked about not cutting corners uh, on costs, insurance is a big one because if you do Huge. have a claim, you can get hit really hard. So maybe you can talk about like, how do you help your clients determine how much coverage they need for each of those types of, uh, of policies? Yeah, perfect. So we start with the dwelling and we'll run a replacement cost estimator, which, you know, for me to determine how much does it cost to rebuild a home? I'm not a contractor. I can't tell you. So we go to, you know, uh, MSB, which is a uh, replacement cost estimator. There's a bunch of different ones out there, um, but we'll go to those, plug in the, the, the fit, finishes, square footage, construction style, the whole nine yards. And then it will tell us, hey, here's about where it should be insured for. Um, we go by that a lot because, you know, if all of a sudden we're off by, let's say 25%, that becomes a really big issue at claim time. And again, nobody remembers savings at claim time. I'm gonna tell you, nobody remembers, oh wait, that's right, I saved $75 because I skipped this coverage at claim time. 
So we talk a lot with the client about, okay, here's what we're coming up with a replacement cost. How do you feel about that? Right? Because I mean, it's somewhat their decision. Um, and if they're comfortable with it and we have the MSB or, or the replacement cost estimator, then we can move forward with that. And then we talk about loss of use or loss of rent. How much are you renting it for? How often is it rented? Is it annual? Is it short-term rental? And then we can tweak that coverage sometimes. Sometimes it's a set percentage, but sometimes we get to tweak that coverage. Liability is a big factor, especially if we're discussing excess liability and then what qualifies for that. And then if there isn't an excess or an umbrella policy, how high can we bump the underlying to make sure that they're properly protected? And then again, we talk a lot about how is it being titled, right? And so I know Courtney brought it up talking about going from individuals to an LLC. And if they don't tell the title company and if they don't tell the insurance agent and it's still titled, you know, it's still insured in their personal names, but it's now titled in the LLC, you've created a massive gap in coverage. And something that the carriers will be like, no, the insured person no longer has title to this to this house. So we talk a lot about, OK, is it going to be in your name? Is it going to be in an LLC? And then how do we properly protect you? And then, again, do it with talking about value, not just about cost. So how do we do that and get you properly protected in the best, you know, I'll say the most fiscally conservative way possible? Um, and how do we get them the most value out of the policy? Yeah, and, and I can tell you as someone who had to make a claim on a property that I couldn't remember what the difference in different policies were when we looked at it. And, and you did help me look at some of those other policies and it was clear which ones uh, were the best bang for the buck. But insurance is definitely not something that you want to shortchange on. I think um, maybe because of mass advertising, you see the, the state farms, the Geico's out there who are, you know, giving people policies at like pennies on the dollar, but it's mainly because most people don't understand what coverage they're not getting until they have a claim. So maybe you can talk about the difference of working with someone like yourself who understands all these things and will actually make sure not just that your policy is cheap, um, but that your policy is right as an investor. Maybe you can talk about the differences between working with you versus working with one of the, you know, 800 number companies that you might call to, uh, you know, get a quick insurance quote based on a TV commercial with uh, with a gecko, for example. Yeah, so we've been trained, you know, a lot of our job is, I'll say, investigative would be the best way to do it and converse, conversational, trying to understand the risk. Uh, so many times when you call an 800 number, you are strictly giving them numbers, statistics, and they're cranking out a quote for you. Um, and then if they don't have a market, and a lot of what, a lot of times they're just done um, because they're captive. So Geico can write with Geico, right? State Farm writes with State Farm. They may be able to go to some or one or two excess surplus markets. But like if you look at us right now and you just take Florida, for instance, right, which is where I'm based out of at, at the very moment, um, Florida right now, I think I write with roughly 30 some odd carriers in the standard market and probably another 15 to 20 in specialty and surplus markets. So having 50 some odd carriers to fit a risk where if you look at State Farm, State Farm in most cases, I say most cases, unless the home is newer, 
if it's an older home, State Farm isn't even writing insurance in the state of Florida. They're picking up a few independent companies, but that's not really their bag, right? So that's not what their expertise is. Having an independent agent who is used to taking information from the client, understanding their needs, and then going and finding the right market for it so that we can present the best option out there available to the client becomes critical. And that's where it's not just, you know, I'll say churn and burn or a phone call or name your price tool. I mean, there's all kinds of these things out there, right? But no, it's really having a conversation going, okay, now we understand what you're trying to do. Now let's go fulfill that need. And clients don't understand the questions to ask because they, they might be new to being the investor versus us going through and going, okay, look, I understand where you're at, what you're trying to do. I know exactly how to move forward with this. Let me come back to you and then we'll review in detail. So I think it, it's a big difference between big box and independent big box that can really have access to a lot of markets for, for a client. Yeah, and it's very similar to what we run into on the mortgage end because you have these big marketing engines of certain companies and you know you get the, the ad that says, push button, get mortgage. Well, <laughs> that's, uh, every time I see that, I just want to bang my head on a wall because it just takes all the advice and the, you know, things that are so important specifically to investors. It just strips it all out and just says cost is the only thing that's important. And again, like you said, when you have a claim, you won't remember that you saved $75 on an annual policy by calling an 800 number or, or pushing a button and getting your mortgage, which doesn't actually exist, by the way, for the record. Um, exactly. But right. do you, yeah, but as an investor, do you think that, that you need additional coverage that you might not need? Like, it's, it, how is it different than if you're getting your own policy, like for your own home? Well, it, it's, it's very similar in a lot of ways. In a few, it's, it's a little more nuanced because it's the structure, the liability, and the loss of rent because this is an investment versus your personal property, right? And so liability is premises only on a dwelling policy. So it's only for that one location where if you look at homeowners, it kind of follows you wherever you go, your personal liability does. So when you look at that, we talk a lot about what kind of coverage do you need for those? And from a liability standpoint, you know, do you have an umbrella? Can we list it under the umbrella? Are you going to put in an LLC? Are you putting in your personal name, right? Uh, is it short-term rental, which becomes a little more cost prohibitive because of all the people coming in and out, in and out of the house versus an annual tenant? So there's some things that we need to discuss there as well as location. So if somebody buys a house, let's say in, uh, let's, uh, let's pick a spot, I don't know, uh, Butte, Montana, right? Or just pick a spot, right? So in the middle of Montana, not close to ski resorts, no nothing. They buy a house for 150,000 um, and they're renting it out. They may rent it out for literally, you know, 500 to $800 a week versus somebody who buys a house, even if it's a smaller home, right? But let's say it's overlooking a, a mountainside and it's rented consistently. Let's go Key West. So in Key West, Florida, you could buy a, a small two one, let's say it's 300,000 or 500,000 to buy it, but your rental market might be $2,000 a week. So at $2,000 a week, you really gotta make sure that your loss of rent especially in a hurricane prone zone is significant enough. And that's again, where, where we have the conversation with a client going, 
here's your exposures, here's how we want to mitigate against those and put a policy in place that does that. Because again, you were talking about loss of rent, right? So if loss of rent on your policy is $10,000 and another policy, it's $25,000 and you get hit by a hurricane and it was $80 or a hundred bucks more for $25,000 in coverage, you're going to be like, well, wait a second. Why am I only getting 10 instead of 25? And a lot of times, unfortunately, agents don't do a great job of talking about, okay, here's option A, B, and C. Here's what we can do with the policy. They're like, boom, here it is. Here's the lowest premium. Do you want to take it? It gives you your basic coverage, right? And so let's face it, you can buy a basic burger or you can buy a really stacked up burger that's actually going to satisfy you. And, and not to compare insurance to a burger, but let's face it, a hamburger from McDonald's and a hamburger from, let's say, I don't know, take your pick, like a gourmet place, right? From Wally's, right? In Beverly Hills, it's going to taste a whole lot different. So, yeah. Absolutely. And you touched on something that I think is really important because short-term rentals have become very popular um, uh, and the insurance requirements for those are different. So, and it kind of leads into what you were just talking about, about how you call a big box insurance company if they don't ask you that question or they don't even know if you're going to rent the property, they're probably going to put you in the wrong type of, of policy. So maybe you can talk about the differences and why it's so important that if you are doing short-term rentals, that you actually have a, um, you know, a short-term rental policy. Oh, on mute. Okay. Oh, I'm back. There it is. There you are. I have no okay. idea what you're saying. <laughs> yes. So the difference <laughs> okay, between so. the big box. Yes. And as far as short-term rental. So Airbnb has really changed the market in a lot of ways. Some good for people, especially if they you know travel a lot and want to rent their house out. But from an insurance standpoint, they've created a disaster. And so like I just had a client the other day who's like, hey, Ed, um, I want to rent out my house. Where'd I go? Hold on. Yeah, so there I your, thought your video cut out for a second there. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna stop touching my my desk and just stand back. So um, but but he tells me when we we're doing a quote form, he's like, hey Ed, I want a quote as this being my primary residence and a quote with this being my primary residence where I get to rent it out, let's say 90 days a year. And I'm like, outstanding, thank you. Because I asked him, I'm like, is it gonna be your primary? You gonna have any rental exposure? Secondary, what's the usage? And so he was, thank goodness, honest and told me up front. And so literally I found him a policy and this is in the state of Colorado. So in the state of Colorado, we, got a, we had a quote with a carrier who won't allow any rental exposure. And then we did one with one who would allow the rental exposure and there was a 75% increase. So just for round numbers, right? One was a thousand, one was like 1750. Okay. But for 750 bucks, he now gets to rent that out, however often. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't do it that way, takes the thousand dollar policy and then rents it out, and a claim occurs, and the carrier, they're getting really good at finding out if you've been renting this on Airbnb or not, and they find out that you have been, they'll deny the claim. They, they can just step back and go, material misrepresentation, you rented it without notifying us. So literally, it sounds like a lot of money for $750, but 
but technically that could be, you know, one week's rental during the year and then the rest of it, but he's at least properly protected. Cause I'm going to tell you insurance and just like whether it's property and casualty or title insurance as Courtney will tell you is never after the fact you can't go back and apply coverage after the fact it's either their time of loss or it's not their time of loss. Yeah, and I, and I think insurance companies, obviously, they're out there to make money, right? So they would love to find a reason to not pay a claim, and that's an easy one. And we find yeah. that people also maybe change their strategy on their investments, but they don't think to change their insurance. And that can create some problems with lack of coverage as well. Um, and, and another somewhat related issue, which we kind of touched on with Courtney as well, is Sometimes you have like unpermitted units where like in New York City, for example, you have a basement apartment in a brownstone that uh, is not legal. It's not it was never permitted. You know, you're not allowed to have a kitchen in a basement, so to speak, kind of thing. Or in California, where you have ADU units uh, like a converted garage, which I'm sure are popular in other areas as well. Casitas that Courtney brought up. Um, but in the event that those units are unpermitted and you run into an issue where, you know, let's say a tenant accidentally starts a fire that burns part of the building, um, or heaven forbid you have a full loss or, or, you know, someone who gets injured, how does an insurance company treat that claim if that issue started in a, uh, in an unpermitted illegal unit? Yeah. And that's where, and, and this is, here's a super caveat, right? Because again, California is dramatically different than let's say New York or dramatically different from Florida or dramatically different from North Carolina. So I'm going to tell you, if the insurance agent said it's a single unit dwelling and it was technically a duplex, whether properly permitted or not, right? If it's a two unit or one unit, and they say it's a one unit, but it turns out it was a two unit. Ugh. Again, material misrepresentation. The, whether it's it's uh, a legal unit or not, um, that's more of a permitting and legal piece. To be honest with you, I don't know what the insurance company would do because thank goodness I have yet to run into a situation where I've had a client who's had an illegal unit that I rent that, that was on a policy that was not written properly. Thank goodness. I'm going to try to keep doing that. But so to be honest with you, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you if it's not, if the insurance doesn't reflect how it's being used, that's going to be the biggest issue. Yeah. And, and it could lead to a situation where the claim just isn't paid at all, right? The claim is just completely denied. So now you've got a, you know, major, uh, problem that you don't have insurance to cover the expense of. So that means you're out that money. And as an investor, that just kills your entire investment. I, I would imagine that's uh, not that yeah. I'm an insurance expert, but um, if, if you don't, if you make that material rep misre misrepresentation, or it's just not reflected that there are multiple units in that building that you're insuring, that's an out for the insurance company to just deny the claim completely. And the implications of that as an investor are massive. Well, and the insurance companies, and, and, and let's face it, nobody really loves insurance companies, right? And, and I get that at time of loss, they want them to come through. But other than that, they really don't care for insurance companies. But I think the biggest factor comes into, look, you got to insure it the way it's being done. Because otherwise, if not, 
I mean, like, like classic case on the one in Colorado, right? So let's say it's $750 more, but if it burns down and he doesn't insure it the right way and they can deny the claim, you could be looking at a three to $400,000 loss because the insurance company is like, ah, we're done. Nope. You lied to us. You, you were renting it and, and they'll get, I mean, they're there to, 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 they want it rated accurately. They want to be able to charge the accurate rate for it. And this way at time of loss, then they're like, okay, we, you know, it's, it's a covered loss. It was rated how it's supposed to be. We're going to cover the loss. If it's not rated right now, again, yeah, because now they're not, their actuarials aren't sound the moment that it's not rated properly. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think you have um, clearly differentiated yourself as uh, someone who really understands this world and knows how not just to insure a, comp- a property, but how to properly insure a, a property. And I think that is a huge distinction between the big box types of companies. And same thing with financing where, yeah, you can you can push a button and get a mortgage, but it might not be the right mortgage for your needs. It might not serve you long term. It might not you know, be the right fit for that particular client. So it's not just about getting insurance or getting a mortgage or getting title insurance. It's about actually getting the right information and having the resources at your fingertips as an investor to protect your investment long-term. Because if you have one of these major claims, it's it's gonna kill the whole thing. I mean, you could theoretically go bankrupt by making a wrong decision or underinsuring a property or whatever it may be if you, if you don't do it right. So the implications are significant, and that's why we, we wanted to have you guys on this session today. Um, Courtney, we'd love to see you again. Ed, we're having a little trouble with your video, but um, we'll just we'll hear your beautiful voice uh, for the for the duration of the last few minutes. But um, but I just wanted to ask each of you one last question before we wrap up. Just uh, you know, kind of a one or two little tidbits for investors specifically as it relates to your type of insurance what would be one thing you want to leave the audience with to help them guide their clients properly? So Courtney, why don't we start with you first? Sure. Uh, I would say, again, it is the least most important thing there is. Um, It is always better to know than not know. You are all highly educated specialists in your field. Let your clients be the same. Um, And as an investor, you have so much on your plate already you know, you're, you're the landlord, you're an owner operator, et cetera, whatever the, the, the property or the interest might be, please let the other subject matter experts help you, help you help yourself. That's what I'm here for. So reach out to me anytime, no matter the state. Um, obviously I'm located here in New York, but we do it all everywhere. So never hesitate to reach out to me. Yeah, Thank you all so much. Thank you, Courtney. And and I'll be putting up your contact information and in Ed's uh, in just a minute here. So if people do want to reach out, they they know how to connect with you. Um, Ed, so the same question uh, to you, what would be one or two little tidbits of information for the group to take away from today's call? I'm sure they're not going to remember everything that they heard, but one or two little takeaways um, as far as how to work effectively with investors. Well, first, find a really good insurance agent that asks you a lot of questions that really wants to understand what you're doing. Um, The second thing, and I love this nugget, is you might have clients already who own investment properties and it's in an LLC, but they use it personally. And I love this nugget because if they use it personally, 
they should be signing a rental agreement, even if it's for a week, to use the property from the LLC. Because you are not the corporation, the corporation is not you. And if the LLC owns the home, but you're gonna rent it and use it, you're gonna rent it from the LLC, draw up a quick document, e-sign it, whatever it takes, but have some sort of rental agreement in there so you do not pierce your own corporate veil. Uh, we see it a lot in the, in the yacht industry, in the jet industry, and now it's transferring over into the dwelling or homeowners industry. Rent from yourself or rent from your own corporation. Don't just use it. Yep. That's great advice. And one, one other that I wanted to highlight that you guys have both touched on is that if you do transfer title from your personal name into an LLC, which is a common tactic for investors, and there's some issues with doing that on the loan end, which we covered during the legal session. But if you do that, make sure you reach out to your title uh, and property and casualty insurance company, because you may, you may be completely eliminating your coverage or affecting it right. in some way. And I think that's really important. My last takeaway that, that I've learned throughout this whole series is don't be foolish with what you spend money on as an investor. Protect your investment, get that knowledge up front and spend the money to make sure that you're that you're adequately insuring your property, that you have the right legal um, advice that you're getting from financial advisors as well. All of these things are so critical. and if if you run numbers and with all these expenses that you might incur, the the investment doesn't make sense, then move on and find a different one where the numbers are better. Don't shortchange all these different professional aspects of this because if you if we've talked about this, especially in today's session, one bad decision, whether it be, you know, like my dumb move where I didn't order a survey can cost you dearly. Um, so if I had paid for that survey, I probably would have saved myself $15,000 on the investment. So there goes basically a year's worth of rental profit. Um, if I hadn't insured my property properly with Ed, um, when that roof blew off, I might not have uh, proper coverage. And I insured it as a short-term rental because that's what it is. Um, Ed, I may need to talk to you later about this personal use. Um, I'm, I'm going to create a, a lease for myself because I may be up there uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but that's a great nugget. But um, in summary, I just really wanted to thank you guys. You guys are an incredible resource for people and really have a, a, a great knowledge, not just local to where you guys physically are, but as far as reaching out to the whole country and being able to service people in different areas and understand the nuances, which is important. If investors do look to invest in areas outside of their immediate backyard, I think that's also really important. So I just wanted to thank both of you for spending the time to uh, to share your, your insights with everybody. Um, we will definitely circle back with you, I think, in another in-depth session with each of you uh, for another series down the road would be really helpful. But I appreciate you guys taking the time today and, uh, and really look forward to continuing to collaborate with you and to be able to highlight uh, you guys and what you do for me as an investor and as, as someone in the mortgage business um, as just a great resource uh, of information about your respective fields. So thank you guys so much for, for joining and sharing your time today. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the On The Mark podcast. Wherever you're listening, please leave a review. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with others. You can also follow us on our social accounts and find us at markmyman.com to connect directly. Be sure to take a look at the show notes for all the important links and I'll see you next time.